This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, we review round one of the NBL. The New England Patriots get a pass mark. Barely. Jordan Spieth and Henrik Stenson have their game plan to a T. The wrong T. And AJ Patel makes everyone forget that his team played like shit. <laughs> he sure did. Let's go. It's currently 8.51 on Tuesday, the 7th of December. It is 33 degrees and sunny outside, apparently, at uh, 8.51 p.m., but I won't rely on my... Uh... <laughs> no. It's not a visual medium. It's, it's not... You don't actually need to look outside. I'm pretty sure that slight noise people can tell that I'm looking through the <laughs> curtains and seeing nothing but, uh, but darkness outside. Oh, dear. So, yes, welcome back again, and uh, we'll be... Talking plenty of NBL once again this week after a great first round. And if you haven't listened to our last couple of episodes, I don't think it's too late to check them out, is it, Sure, Even though the season has begun, the preview episodes? No, preview episodes are always good. Gives you an idea of, I guess, what we thought and how far off we were. Exactly. You can see where we went wrong. <laughs> one week into the cult, yeah. <laughs> And it was a great chat we had with Cody last week. One, one of the things that stuck out to me was his just long-suffering Knicks fanage. Mm. You could just tell like he was a Knicks fan. <laughs> it was, uh, I mean, they've never won in his life. No, so well, it's true. It's true. It's fair. Yes, yes. But as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention? What'd you miss? Well, a couple of things caught my attention this week. First one, put simply, what the fuck is going on with this Peng Shui situation? Oh, yeah. Like all of a sudden there's all these videos of her all over the place popping up and she seems like she's okay before you cough, Nate, because I can <laughs> feel the cough coming. In all likelihood, it is propaganda, we understand. Almost certainly. But like, we don't even know what to make of this anymore. It's, it's What do you believe? Yeah, I know. It is so know. hard to understand. America is now officially boycotting the Beijing Winter Olympic Games. There's talk Australia could join them. China's apparently wiped Lithuania off the economic market. Yeah, I saw that today, yeah. Could we see a mass boycott? Oh, it's possible. It's very possible. It's just, it's insane to think about the possibility of an Olympic Games being completely boycotted. It's basically a diplomatic game of chicken. Mm. Who blinks first? Do, do the Chinese government go, oh, maybe we'll let Peng Shui go to the Australian Open or whatever it might be. Knowing that she won't come back. Yeah, well, poss- quite possibly. Yeah, yeah. It's a very, it's a sad story. It really is. Something a little bit more, I don't want to say even say lighthearted, but something a little bit nicer, I guess, in, in terms of the storyline. And nice is, again, probably not even the right word for this. It was a fairly interesting event that happened at the Hero World Challenge at the Albany Golf Club in New Providence in the Bahamas. It involves the first pairing of the last day of Jordan Spieth and Henrik Stenson. Now, they came up to the ninth tee and both of them hit pretty decent shots right down the middle of the fairway, as you'd expect, being pros. But in actual fact, they had both teed off from the 17th tee instead of the ninth. Oh. Whoops. (laughs) The organisers had actually moved the ninth tee box a little bit further down for the final round to make the par five reachable in two. And the previous ninth tee box was now the 17th. So they effectively sort of swapped the tee boxes around. Now, these two have ended up playing their shot from the wrong tee box. And they're halfway down the ninth fairway when they were told by officials that they'd actually teed off from the wrong spot. They were both hit with a two-shot penalty and forced oh, to tee off again. Oh, you're kidding. Two-shot wow. two penalty from, for playing your, your wow. ball from the wrong spot. Wow. Now That's rough. I'm, I'm sorry, gonna, fairway. <laughs> golf clap. <laughs> I'm a little bit on the fence. They would feel pretty stupid when you consider there's these massive signs behind them that say 9 and 17. Oh, so okay. you, it's a little bit hard to feel sorry for. Okay, okay. But interestingly enough, it seems that after that, every other playing group was made aware of this mm. and not them. Yes. That doesn't that seem is fair. Rough. That is rough. That no, is, I agree. That isn't fair. Like, yeah. Like giving the rest of the field an yeah. unfair advantage. Yeah. Now, 
admittedly, it was a charity event of sorts. Yeah, okay. But it was still four points on the overall season. So, right, right. So th- and this is the reason... And they might want to win for their own charity, of course. Yeah, and so, but this is the reason that the penalty was there because they yeah, sort of okay. said, oh, initially we thought they might let us away with it. But now if they'd actually completed the whole, they would have been disqualified. So it could have been a lot worse. Oh, wow. And even though they finished last and second last, they still walked away with 100,000 and 142,000 apiece. Okay. Yeah. So, but very, very interesting watching these two guys tee off and the, <laughs> the, the announcers kind of circling the spot where they're supposed to be teeing off. Yeah, holes. right. A very, Jeez. very interesting event. Jeez. How about yourself, mate? Well, not a lot for me this week. I'll race through this. Uh, so, Sydney grade cricketer Rob Aitken played his 500th first grade match on the weekend. Wow. Which is remarkable. They talked about that on the grade cricketer, so I won't go into it in too much detail. I actually saw it on Twitter first, but I heard it on the grade cricketer today as well. They, they went in more detail. The other thing that I found funny was Trey Young and Bing Bong both received <laughs> write-in votes in the New York City mayoral election. So, Bing Bong, <laughs> for those that don't know, there's this guy went viral after a Knicks win and he was like, Bing Bong! And, and then so... I'm amazed that someone <laughs> in New York put Trey Young down. Yeah, I know, right? Right? Yeah. It's just like asking yeah. well, to that's, a, that's an Atlanta fan trolling, I suggest. Yeah, well. But what really caught my attention today, Shui, so we're in a nice Italian restaurant for lunch today in Applecross, and who should walk in but Peter Bell and Bob Murphy, as well as a few other Dockers yeah. brothers. Yeah, so obviously didn't disturb them, but that was an interesting little... Said, uh, Italian, I thought it might have been like Alessandro Del Piero or <laughs> someone like that, but no, okay. No, no, but yeah. So Peter, Peter Bell and Bob there you Murphy. Go. Yeah, yeah, and they were talking shop too. I wasn't eavesdropping, but I did hear a little bit of discussion about <laughs> I borders and COVID. And... <laughs> I wasn't eavesdropping, but I know they were talking shop. Well, I, I could have eavesdropped and heard more is my point, but they happened to be sitting pretty close to us. So I could hear, you know, whether I liked it or not. So Could have given us some more interesting insights on the well, show. Well, yeah, yeah, I respect privacy, oh, Nathan. I respect privacy. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I missed the Adelaide Illawarra game, unfortunately. I'm a little bit disappointed. I would have loved, yeah, yeah. loved to have seen how the Hawks looked. From all accounts, they looked superb. Oh, very well. I didn't actually see that the game was on. I mean, I had an absolute smorgasbord of hoops this weekend aside from that, but certainly did get to see a lot. And I didn't actually realise the BBL had started on Sunday, so... Mm-hmm. You know, even though the Sydney Sixers won their first game by 152 and the Melbourne Stars were outscored by Josh Philippi on his own, it still would have been nice to know it was on. Well, that 152 was the biggest margin in Big Bash history, actually. And it was the highest score ever for the Sixers and the lowest score ever for the Stars, unsurprisingly, at mm. 61. So, yes. Thanks to Rick Finlay on those ones. He'll be uh, producing many, many great stats during this summer of cricket. I have to say, the Melbourne Stars look like shite. If, if, yeah. if one Glenn Maxwell yeah, doesn't no. fire, they really look worried. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and the other thing I forgot, Nathan, I have to apologise. I completely missed your Futurama reference. <laughs> Last week, I, I was doing. Omicron, Percy I was AH. doing the edit, and I just cut it out because I thought you'd stuff. Oh, up. that's all right, mate. I, was like, wait, I wait, wedged wait. it back in. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, what is this? <laughs> you uh, can be forgiven. It's been a while since I've watched Futurama. Yeah, me too. In fairness, what did you miss, mate? Well, I missed the BBL too, and look. To be honest, how much do I really give a shit? I guess we'll talk about that in the cricket segment with mm-hmm. the Ashes on. The BBL couldn't be less relevant, in my opinion. I did manage to accomplish my goal, though, of of seeing every single NBL match over the weekend. So that was good. But it did mean that I didn't see any NBA or I didn't really see much other sport because, hey, there were a fair few games. They take some time, don't they? They do take some time. But I enjoyed every second of it, even though early season form. And we'll get there right now. So, Stewie, the Jack Jumpers, they're already on the board. They won their first match, the first time ever. 
the opening game of an NBL round has gone to overtime. The first time ever an expansion team has won their first match in overtime. And the first time a new coach has ever won their first game in overtime. There you go. There you go. And we already have a team in Perth on 2-0 and and we already have a team in Adelaide on 0-2. So a lot to get through. I think we'll just get through the games one by one, shall we? Might as well start with the Jack Jumpers. What a great story. And look, it, it was a bit of an ugly game and it was a fairly low scoring game, but I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was really a really good gritty game to start off with. What do you think? It's, it's what you would expect from these two teams. They're both going to be nervous. They're the opening game of the entire season. The Jack Jumpers have the weight of the entire state on their shoulders after being away for 25 years. A lot of missed shots, a lot of nerves. It's going to happen, but it still ended up being a barn burner. That's, oh, it was fantastic. That's what I loved about yeah, it. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. In fact, can I quote a tweet that I saw from Bano 2020, Mark Banovich, or Banovic, sorry, however you say 26 years Tassie kids have missed out. For those that don't understand the importance of having an NBL team here, rather than watching TV, I've got a six-year-old shooting hoops on the tramp pretending to be Josh Majette. So isn't that brilliant? That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And he played very well. Both him and Adams played very well for the Jack Jumpers. Yeah, well, I mean, there were concerns. Certainly something that we talked about in our crossover with the NBL Pocket Podcast was concerns about Josh Majette's decision-making, especially in the clutch. He looked really solid. Oh, he was excellent. He ran the team just as you'd want a pure point guard to run the team. And he seems to have already built pretty good chemistry with Josh Adams. I think the chemistry with Magne will need to come a little bit more, but but yeah, game one, so. Absolutely. And we already saw with Adams, he's going to be one of the most fun players to watch. The effort was great for a first game, and I think that's probably what the Tasmanian public will take out of this. This is going to be a real grit and grind sort of team. They're going to be fun to watch. And how awesome was it to see Jack McVeigh provide the dagger in overtime? I'll be honest, actually, I thought he might play a little bit more than 25 minutes. But uh, yeah, he, oh gee, he was loving it, wasn't he? he? Pumped. It. He was pumped with a big three up in the crowd. And yeah, they were loving it. Absolutely love it. My girlfriend actually noticed that Scott Roth might have even been tearing up. They zoomed in on him. It's like, oh, is he getting emotional here for this first? And look, you could understand why he would become overcome with emotion. Uh, she already loves the name. She's changed it to the Jill Pullovers and the Jack Sweaters and basically any, <laughs> oh, right. like, you know, I was like, where are you going changing Jack or Jill and then Jumper for, yeah, a Cardigan or yeah. Jill Cardigans, she That's called them good. at one point. That's good. I like so, that. yes, yes, we would have preferred Devils. On the flip side, though, for Brisbane, are you worried about them at all? Uh, it's early days, isn't it? I mean, Patterson didn't play well. He didn't. 4 of 15, not a a great shooting effort from him at all. He's the guy that absolutely needs to be front and centre for Brisbane to even be close to a threat. Well, if he hits those two free throws down the stretch, they probably win in regulation, but instead they lose in OT. So he was poor. They they missed some key easy shots around the basket down the stretch in that fourth quarter, Mm. and he was one of the culprits of it. He's definitely looking trimmer. I know you joked about him during our crossover episode. Yeah, a little but bit. But he's still, I mean, I think he's just a naturally kind of solid, build, solid yeah. guy. He certainly did look, yeah, did, did look healthier than he did last season, but it was disappointing. Franks looked pretty good, though. Franks was bouncy. Yes. He, he actually, he was kind of somewhat similar to Vic Law, actually. Maybe slightly less good at shooting, but yeah, slightly polished. more athletic. Yeah. Um, but I thought he seemed to be a decent piece for them. But I think the big thing for me with Brisbane, there's just far too many passengers. I mean, if you look across the board, Anthony Drimmick, none of four from the field, no points. You've got, what, two of eight from the field for Jason Kadee and a couple of turnovers in 26 minutes. You had Tanner Krebs, one of five in 18 minutes. So there's a lot of guys that are, are really not doing their part there. And it's funny when you look at that and then you compare it to some of the other teams who had really, really huge performances off the bench. And we'll get certainly to the Wildcats in a minute. 
I didn't see much to tell me that this team is going to be competitive. This no, season. they didn't use their bench much at all, actually, at all. So their starters are going to look to get heavy minutes. Okay, Wigness hasn't played yet, so he'll come in. But there's only two guys that played more than 10 minutes yeah, off the bench. Yeah, I was surprised at that too. So now, that being said, they nearly won, as I say. We, yes, okay, let's talk about it. The we, elephant in the room. We, we've got to talk about it. I know, I know you've it. been dying to talk about this. The Nathan Sobey ejection. Yeah, very disappointing. I think we have differing views on this slightly. So I'll let you get this off your Well, okay. So look, to me, the foul probably shouldn't have been called. They've... Magne sold it. It's it's the sort of thing Magne could have got a flop warning for if lifting your arm up is considered within the realms of a flop by definition. I don't think it is, but I don't know how far that definition stretches in the NBL. His arm's taking a charge, maybe. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, so look, I did not think the foul should have been called. But the fact it was called an unsportsmanlike in a two-point game with bugger all time left in the fourth, I don't know. I don't think the punishment fit the crime there. It was a bit ticky-tack. Maybe you could call it, but I didn't like it. But Sobey's reaction was not good enough. You cannot tell a guy you're fucking terrible when he's got a whistle in his hand. You just don't do it. Regardless of how right you are. In a two-point game, I mean, and this was in overtime, and look, in fairness, Sobey hit a massive three late in the fourth to even get to overtime after Patterson had missed those free throws. So he did do well to get them there. But after that, the game was done, basically. The, the momentum just shifted to Tasmania, and they just ran away with it. And how was that alley-oop from, from uh, Marjet to Adams? Yeah, oh, my superb. God. Pinpoint accuracy. Wow. <sighs> Okay, but I know what you, I know just, you want to say. Just going back, no, it's not so much about teeing off. I, I'm I'm a little bit on the fence. I agree, Magne absolutely made a meal of it, and if flailing the arms, I, I think it's potentially a shame. And I think had he not been the last player in defence, it's almost like the a clear path. It's, kind of, it's yeah. kind of like the soccer rule, and and this is the other. Yeah, they talk about the clear path fouls. They always call him unsportsmanlike in the soccer. If you're the last player between the you know the goalkeeper and the and the, the ball, offsides, yeah, you you get basically a red card automatically. Yeah. So I can kind of see why they did it by the letter of the law. There is a foul there, but it's oh, it was it, so it's, but it, it's a shame to potentially decide a game like that. Yeah, and so then to have the technical free throw on top of. The, the two plus the yeah point. and look magna actually missed two out of three so the damage wasn't too bad but the damage was done momentum wise but i mean once Sobi was gone brisbane were gone yep so yeah disappointing but congrats to the jack jumpers great start indeed yeah no absolutely absolutely and again like i said the other week i'm really glad that the nbl curtain raised with that one i think yeah. that was a really nice touch so then on friday night vic law had a pretty good debut for the wildcats didn't he wow Not 37 bad. points could have had 39 if you hadn't missed that dunk at the end he was running out of steam. He though. blew a tire yeah, massively yeah, on that. Yeah, one. yeah, no, huge game though. And how's this? He barely, I don't think he barely touched the ball in the first five minutes of the third quarter. So he could have very easily had a 40, even a 45. But yeah, great performance. And would you believe he's taken more shots in that game than any game that Bryce Cotton's ever played? Bryce Cotton's never taken that many shots in his in his Wildcats career. So I mean, obviously he didn't know that. You kind of sort of looked and go, oh, maybe that's why he went for that dunk. But oh no, there's absolutely no way. No, no, no. It would just would have been a nice way to finish. It was an interesting contrast between this game and the second game. I mean, this obviously, yeah, was all about Vic Law. Bryce Cotton was you know, a little bit underdone, didn't quite look the same. Four or fifteen from the field, not particularly great. 
you know, some decent service from Luke Travers. I thought he was he was excellent in that game. And then you kind of had not so much off the bench. There were a couple of tiny little plays across the way. Kevin White was one of six. Wagstaff, one of two. So you, you got good numbers out of Majok Majok, nine and 12. I thought he was sensational. Well, with Hodgson going down after only a minute, basically. So, mm. yeah, yeah. Zunich looked bloody good at point guard too, didn't he? He looked sensational in the second game. The first game, there were a couple of nervy moments, but... Well, he's a development player. But I thought, he, yeah, he did his part. And, and yeah, full credit to him. The first development player to ever start their first game in the league is, geez, it's a, an amazing achievement. Do you know who he reminded me of a bit? Funnily enough, the jersey you're wearing. He reminded me a bit of Kevin Lish. Yeah, a little like bit. Like the way that, just the way his haircut, just from the back, the way he looks. Yeah. It's like, like the, the way left, he the moves, left. the left hand, like obviously he's not as good as, as Kevin Lish. Well, not yet. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that was a, an interesting one too. Was I overreacting about the Wildcats like a bigs, do you think? Or was it the competition? I mean, they had Isaac Humphreys and Daniel Johnson, two pretty big guys, but. I mean, DJ was sensational. Daniel Johnson, 22 points and six boards. But really, I mean, Humphreys was a little bit of a non-factor. Okay, he shot the ball at a decent clip but he didn't get enough shots but he, he, he only took seven shots he barely played i thought oh you know again their bench Dufelmeyer, who we talked up a lot in the preseason was average mojave king was yeah okay i guess cameron best was brilliant he actually played really well 15 points in both of the games over the weekend he's lost a bit of weight hasn't he he did look a lot trimmer he looked yeah a little bit smoother and in, in, in late career big guys can tend to extend their career a bit by losing a bit of weight mm. on the on the flip side majuk looked bulked up to oh, me he's a unit now. yeah he's a beast very very impressed with him yeah and so i guess that was the first of the two and you know sometimes you do have to win a little bit ugly I don't think it was a particularly exciting game to watch in terms of, aside from Vic Law. Oh, yeah, Vic Law. Yeah, I mean, first game of the season. You know, the shooting percentages will be a little bit down. There'll be more turnovers. Guys are still finding their feet. Guys are still finding their fitness, chemistry. So, yeah. Well, outside of Majuk Majuk, Vic Law and Luke Travers, the rest of the Cats were 7 of 29. Yeah, there you go. Less than 25%. There you go. It's not a, yeah, as I say, it's not a particularly exciting game. But when you consider that no Mitch Norton, no Michael Frazier, no Todd Blanchfield, and a minute 11 from Matt Hodgson, it's a pretty decent start. Yeah, for the Wildcats to go 2-0 and to basically only have one centre of note is very impressive, yeah. Yep. Next, we had Southeast Melbourne comfortably accounting for New Zealand. Now, New Zealand had a horrible, horrible lead in, and maybe I should have thought about this a little bit more before I picked them in the playoffs. I just love their team on paper, but... As I always say, there's a reason they play the games. Games aren't won on paper. Who do you reckon should have got the loss or the win had they won? Should it be Dan Shamir, who wasn't there due to COVID protocols, or Modi Mayor? Mayor, for sure. I yeah, said, I agree. I said right before it, he deserves yeah. the win if they get it. But yep. flip side is, yeah, you deserve the loss. Yeah, it was really interesting. I saw on Twitter mixed reviews. Like a lot of people thought that Shamir should have got the loss. Because like people were saying, oh, it's his system. He put in this, that, and the other. It's like, yeah, but... There's a system, but Mayor's involved in that because yeah. he's an assistant. But also, the system goes out the window in gameplay sometimes. If a guy goes into foul trouble or you've still got to manage the game, don't you? So I absolutely think that if you're coaching from first tip, you should get the win-loss yeah. record. If, if Mayor starts a development player and plays in 40 minutes exactly, and they, and they lose by 60, how is that on Dan Shamir? Yeah, exactly. So, oh, which reminds me with the Wildcats. So Corey Sherville got a lot of play with Trev, but he didn't even see a minute mm, for the Wildcats yeah, all weekend. A bit surprised. It, it's that. just funny how coaches have different favorites and yeah, yeah, yeah. But you were not impressed with the breakers, and well, not many people were, I guess, were they? <sighs> I mean, it's it's hard because it's only one game. 
There's no Thomas Abercrombie. There's no Yanni Wetzel. So that they are missing some guys. Siva was a bit disappointing, wasn't he? Siva was very disappointing. I honestly, I don't think he looked ready for the physicality. Jeremiah Martin looked like he was lost for large periods of the game. Their bench looked really young and raw when they came in. Like Karen Galloway had some really nice highlights, but you know he didn't. He still sort of didn't show enough. So Findelaney was the only player of note, really, wasn't he? Relative note, yeah. I mean, he, he had a decent game. He started the game shooting the ball terribly. 18 points on nearly 50% in the end, 7 of 15. He picked so. it up very, yeah, very quickly. Yeah. But and, and his hook, remember me talking about his hook shot last year? Mm. I love his little hook. He's got a great little hook shot. I'm a big fan of Finderlane. But I think the big thing we've got to talk about is the flip side. Southeast Melbourne just came out and absolutely blitzed them. Mumford fit in really well too, didn't he? He did. It was a little bit of a period, I think, in the second quarter where it kind of looked a little bit like me ball. But Which you did forecast or, yeah. or worry about. But he's the first player to have a 25-5 and five on debut in under 30 minutes. So he had 27 points on 11 of 18 shooting, seven rebounds, five assists. Pretty bloody good. And I think that's a, the really, really key thing is that you mentioned that he was 11 of 18 from the field. What I want to see is what happens when his shot's not falling down. If he starts the game off, I don't know, 0 for 4 or 1 for 5, will he try and shoot his way out or will he look to facilitate more? This was a perfect game for him because he shot the ball well. He was still getting guys involved. Really great. Yeah, I thought he played within the offense quite well. He played within himself. Well, I mean, you look at some of the other guys like Mitch Creek got his shots up. Brokoff and Glidden looked good in patches, but it was it was Brokoff's the interesting one, isn't he? Because Cody was really high on him last week. And and I do put a lot of credence into X and current players' opinions about guys, but he was a bit disappointing, I thought, Brokoff. Only the seven points. Joe Chi did his oh, he did his was, job. He was amazing, I thought. In 20, 20 odd minutes, about half a game. So yeah. I know the numbers aren't going to jump off the page, you know, eight points and, and five boards. The thing that really he defended the paint. The thing that surprised me though, there was one play in particular where he switched out onto one of the point guards. And I can't remember if it was Sivo or one of the backups. But he moved his feet so well. And that was the concern was is he going the to lateral be lateral movement? Yeah I, yeah. I distinctly remember the word glacial. Yes, that, okay. is, that is the word that jumps out for, you know, from our chat with, with the boys at the Pocket Podcast. And, and he, he actually did. He moved his feet and was able to get back into the paint had there been a rebound. So it was great to see. He changed a lot of shots, which is, I think, what they were expecting from him. And I'll tell you what, the Chinese market will be all over this Phoenix team. Speaking of our chat with the boys, Tarangi, who I was a bit worried about, had a shocker. Yep. In nearly 20 minutes, just two assists, two rebounds, no points. So, yeah. yeah. But they won. And, and they won comfortably. And the thing I loved about the Phoenix was they took advantage of every little half mistake. They were in the passing lanes. They were getting deflections. They were getting steals. They, they just played such amazing defense. Look, 11 steals for a game, it's pretty good. Like anytime you're in double figures, that looks really, really good. And they just smothered everything that New Zealand wanted to do. You'll take three steals a quarter, basically every game of the week. Every, every game. My disappointment here was with the coverage. So obviously they had that incredible, okay, yes, it was only the blitz, but they had that incredible game where Delaney hit that crazy double clutch uh, game winner for three. Why didn't they show that in the lead up? Yeah, I, was, I must why, have noticed Why wouldn't that. you draw on that coverage? You know, why wouldn't you draw on blitz highlights in the lead into a game? I don't, I don't get Maybe it. I knew it was going to be a shit game. I don't know. Well, I just, I, I, I would be spruiking that, even though it was only the blitz. That was just such a crazy shot. All right, we're going to talk about the big talking point from this game. 
the rugby. <laughs> yes. Now I I wasn't sure if it was just me that noticed this, but you said you noticed straight this away. Well. My eyes lit up when you started talking about it. Yeah, so going left of screen. There's a baseline ball. Mitch Creek has the ball, and he's fired a rugby pass off to one of the umpires. Really hard pass. And I thought, oh, that's a bit a bit much. And the umpires actually caught it and done the little tapped the ball on his foot and feigned to pass it back to yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I, I thought played was, along basically. I thought it was brilliant. So yeah. no, that that was something a little bit of fun, kind of cool. But I did actually want to talk about something that I saw in the news yesterday. Okay. Which is that the Phoenix have announced that they will accept payment for memberships, sponsorships, and corporate packages in cryptocurrency. I did see that too, actually. Yes. Yep. How do you feel about that? I find it bizarre. It's one thing like the Perth Heat to pay players and a staff and administrators. It's another thing entirely to accept crypto. Like if I own, if I held crypto, why the fuck would I want to spend? You'd want to hold it and see it grow. Why would you use it to buy basketball tickets? I, I can't see that many people will take advantage of this. It's interesting because Romy Shadari, who's the owner, came up with this idea and stated that the Phoenix is, quote, always working to stay ahead of the curve. It's it's a bit of a risky thing because we've seen how certain cryptocurrencies have been quite volatile. I mean, Bitcoin, obviously, strength to strength. I get that. But oh, a- well, no, even that has its ups and downs. I mean, it's the nature of the market. It's the nature of financial institutions. Look, this to me, cynically, this to me just seems like a headline grabber. A bit of a token sort of thing. It's a headline grabber. Get the Phoenix in the news during round one, which is fine. Great. And I hope that's all it is because yeah. I worry that if they accept a huge amount and all of a sudden it crashes, what happens to the franchise? Well, uh, yeah, I yeah. We'll, we'll keep tabs on this, but we will. I, I'm not, I can't imagine many people will take this opportunity. Now we move on to the game that I didn't get a chance to see, which was the 36ers and the Hawks game. So after coming across and getting kind of not taken apart, but beaten fairly handily by the Wildcats, the 36ers then had to back it up and head home to take on the Hawks, who many people have as certainly championship fancies. It's a tough schedule to begin, isn't it? To go on the road to Perth and then come home. Okay, yes, you're at home, but you're playing basically the best team in the competition. Almost like the new Doomsday Double. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Even with a home game. Yeah. So you obviously had a chance to watch this. What were your thoughts? I did. I'd be thinking that Juop Reef is MVP favourite. He looked amazing. Okay. He he was looking like a slightly taller Zach Randolph out there. Wow. Like he reminded, even down, okay, yes, down to the headband and stuff. But slightly better defender, a bit more, a bit more of a rim protector. I don't know what the odds are in the. I'm not a betting man, but I'll tell you what: if if he's got some decent odds for MVP, you'd be considering throwing money at him because he looked amazing. Put some crypto on that. I I, <laughs> I tell you what: it was a much much easier win than the margin suggested. Mm. DJ got a lot of points in in garbage time for the Sixers. He did his best to try and keep him in the game, but the Hawks had this from pillar to post. Very impressive, very impressive. Harvey looked great. Jessup scored a fair few points. Granted, he didn't shoot the three ball very well, but he contributed to the team. Antonius Cleveland, okay, didn't score a hell of a lot, but his first bucket was bloody good, that reverse. That's on the the highlight reel. The up and under double clutch reverse, basically. Yeah, I I can't decide which was the best play of the round, either the alley-oop between the jack jumpers or that. I think Mm. I'd give the jack jumpers alley-oop the slight, yeah, because of the situation, the score and the situation. But yeah, that Cleveland dunk was magnificent. The, the Froling boys are a bit of a worry, though. Combined just over 40 minutes, and they've gone one for 11 between the two of them. Maybe not the start they were hoping for. Harry's looking good, though, physically. So there was actually a play where he was basically Magic Johnson. He took it the length of the floor. Okay. He's looking much leaner. Yeah, I look, I'm not too worried about them. They can have a bad game. I'm a big fan of Sam Froling. Yeah, look, 
I don't, I don't really have much bad to say about this team. They did have 13 rebounds between them, so I guess you've got to give them that. And Reith got, I think, three offensive boards on one possession from memory. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, they're, they're, they're a very well-balanced side. They have the best coach in the competition. I know it's only week one and we try and avoid overreactions, but I'll tell you what, they are looking very, very sharp. Speaking very of, sharp. Speaking of overreactions, Dusty Hannah's. Might be on the way out already. Yeah. So look, there's always one team that panic trades an import, which is why I asked the question when we had the pocket podcast crossover. He might be the one. There's already a bit of rumblings about him kind of being the the guy in the firing line. Well, they kind of held on to Donald Sloan a little bit too long last season. So it would actually be interesting to see whether they've learned their lesson and pull the trigger early and try and get somebody in who's a bit more dynamic. He's undersized. He doesn't defend well. He's, what, 7 of 25 from the field in his first two games, so 28%. Okay, it's a very small sample size, but he had four turnovers in this game as well. So no. And when Withers isn't contributing a hell of a lot either at, at an import spot, it's shaky. Yeah. It's very shaky. Yeah, I must admit, I was quite bullish on Adelaide. Not so much now. Yeah, on paper, I thought they looked good. But hey, look, early days, they played two very good teams. Two of the best teams in the competition. We're not going to panic about Adelaide just yet, but geez, it's it's, the strength of the competition means that you don't want to get behind the eight ball too much. So Mm. they really don't want to lose too many more games to start the season or they're in big trouble early. Big Mm. trouble. I thought Rath and Mays looked bloody good for Illawarra down the stretch too. Started quiet, but hit a really purple patch late in the game and actually ended up with 15 points. So yeah, Hawks, They're deep. Oh, yeah. They are deep. So in the middle Sunday game, the Kings and United was a funny one, wasn't it? A really funny That's what I reckon. That was, honestly, that game was a pile of horseshit. It was so (laughs) hard to watch. Like, you think a five-point game would be fairly exciting, especially when you consider that Melbourne United had a shot to tie the game. Yes, It was just crap. I wanted to turn it off so many times. I wasn't maybe as critical. I I don't know. I I chalk it up to early season form. Uh, There are a few things I liked. RJ Hunter is an amazing passer. Very good Mm. passer. I was impressed with that. Just for me, though, I mean, obviously, you can put a lot of this down to the fact that Chris Golding wasn't playing for Melbourne. But I just worry about where their offense is going to come from. Oh, big time. Big time. You know, if you look at the performances... Joe Luwala-Chul, obviously, he's always been a bit of a black hole when it comes to you pass the ball into him. It's not coming back yet. Well, it's, it's really funny you say that because I was thinking about him and Nate Jawai, and the difference is Nate Jawai is a willing passer. JLA's been big on NBA. He thinks he's good enough to make it. Maybe he is. But if he wants to make the NBA, he needs to occasionally pass the fucking ball. Mm. You can't shoot it every time because defense is key in on it. They know you're shooting. So they're gonna they're gonna collapse on you. Yep. Why why bother even defending for a pass? So he needs to bring that into his game if he wants to take the next step. He really does. Absolutely. Look, I thought you know if you look right across the board, Delavadova, eh, not a great game. Three of eleven from the field. Mason Peatling, guys are giving him wide open threes. Okay, he made one, but pff, again, he's not a great shooter. Shea Illy still looks like a shell of his former self. I just even when he had that shot to tie the game, I, I was like, eh, he's not making this. There's no way. I just had no confidence he was making that shot. Brad Newley looks about 45. He's just... Well, if you're relying on him, you're probably in a bit of trouble. And that's no disrespect to him, but it's because he's a a veteran now, isn't he? And he'd be handy off the bench. But yeah, I I think the Delivered over Agata pairing. I like Caleb Agata as a player. I think he'd actually fit really well on the Wildcats, for example, as that defensive guy that doesn't need to eat as much. But they're going to rely on him to be a scorer when he's not a scorer. Same with Delhi. Delhi will control the game. He'll do a lot of good things. He'll, they'll both play really good defense. But even with Golding, 
are they going to get enough points? Major concerns in Melbourne. Yeah, I honestly believe Golding's probably going to have to average 25-plus this season for them to even be close to relevant. That's right. So so he basically almost has to win the MVP. Hmm. Yeah. Which, I, look, it could happen. It could. It could. But the margin for error is slim. It didn't give me much hope that game, unfortunately. No. And look, Sydney, so clearly Buford wants that six seconds or less offense, which is great. For most of the game, it was great. But the problem is when you get into late game situation in a pretty close game, you got to switch it off. Oh, their execution was shit house. It was shit house. And it'll come. It will come. I'm sure it will. I think I heard the phrase violet crumbles come around a couple of times. <laughs> oh, it doesn't take long for that to be bandied around. Oh, look, I, I'm still fairly bullish on Sydney. I still think they'll be good. They just need to improve their chemistry, improve that late game stuff. There's been a bit of criticism about Cooks, but he padded the stat sheet. I thought he was pretty good in, yeah. in half a game. So hand, yeah. In slightly more than half a game. The yeah. thing is, like, Jarrell Martin was kind of MIA for three quarters of the game. He played a very, very good, I don't know, six or seven minute patch. And the rest of the game, he kind of didn't do that much. RJ Hunter and, and Adams are kind of figuring their own way into the league. They'll be fine, Sydney. They've got enough there that they will be certainly pushing. I was surprised to see on the box score, Jarrell Martin only played 26 minutes. In stark contrast, really, to how Brisbane were coached, it's got to be said, and how little their bench played. Well, because they've got a lot of guys. I mean, Swakula Bullock is worthy of 15 minutes a game. Vodanovic is probably worth about the same. Bales is worth about 15 minutes a game. The Makers could potentially be pushing for 10 minutes. So there's a lot of guys that will need to eat up time. But Jerome Martin, he only had three fouls, so he's never in foul trouble. He's got to play at least 30 minutes a game, Jarrell Martin. Yeah, but the game looked like it was over at halftime. So well, I guess, yeah, you're right. You're so, right. That 20-point that lead looked like it could blow out to 30. I even tweeted about it at Sportblokes. It looked like it could blow out to 30, and then, but instead it was a five-point. Yeah, yeah, really weird. So they had to bring him back. Also, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, that's true. That's true. That's played, a good point. He could have played 20. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. And then finally, Shuey Cotton uh, said to Vic Law, hold my beer. And had an incredible game to destroy Cairns, who unfortunately were also a little bit undermanned. A couple of their role player rotation guys didn't make the trip and they were already fighting an uphill battle. So, look, it was a good start from the Snakes. Kawhat Noy looked like a flamethrower to start the game. Oh, yeah, he was awesome. Hit his first four threes. And yeah, he's bulked up a bit too, by the looks he, of things. He has. Yeah. But then a tirade of F bombs from Scott Morrison in a timeout and it kind of lit the fire back up under the Wildcats and they kind of went, oh, you know what? Yeah, we probably do need to play a little bit of defense against this team. Noy only scored three points in the second half. So after that really good start, they just couldn't afford for him to do it. They couldn't afford it. No. Uh, look, there's a lot of things that I guess you could say about the Taipans. I mean, Zimmerman worries me. Okay, again, his numbers will look good, 14 and 14. But how many layups did he miss? He must have missed four or five shots from inside a foot. Early season form? I mean, I hope so for Cairns. I think sake. some of it across the board. I think you've got to chalk some of that up to early season form. Potentially. I think they've potentially also got the wrong kind of import in Tajir McCall. He looks really great, really active. He looks like a very defensive guy. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Justin Simon from last season with Illawarra. I wouldn't give up on him just yet. I'm, I may be a little bit more. I have more time for him than you. He had 16 and 9, and yeah. he played excellent D, full court too. But this is so, the thing. He's he's that sort of guy, whereas I just don't see him scoring enough. I felt like he had more scoring punch than Agata for Melbourne, for example, though. Mm. And I heard a really great quote about Machado where if he doesn't have that star power like a Cam Oliver alongside him, he kind of regresses a little bit. He was appalling in that game. Well, here's the thing. So one of 12, four points. Four turnovers as well. If he wasn't a known commodity, if he wasn't a guy that had been in this league for years, 
people would be calling for his head. If it was a brand new import, yep. he'd be top of the list as far as getting the axe. So he's got benefit of the doubt runs on the board to mix metaphors from another sport. But yeah. And we talked about Nate Jarwai and being able to keep him on the court. I mean, he played eight minutes in that game. With no Hodgson. Yeah. Like, why aren't you giving it into the big guy? Let him, let him eat. Yeah, that was that was odd. It was very, very surprising. Okay, he had three turnovers in eight minutes. He kind of didn't look quite as good as he did in the preseason. But at the same time, you've got to give him a chance to work his way into the game. And he could easily have dominated that second unit. Now, obviously, we've got to talk about how good a game this was for Perth. It had a lot of contributors. And I kind of talked in the first game about how sometimes you've got to win ugly. The second thing I really noticed from this Wildcats team is that you also need performances from role players. Oh, of course. So Cotton, we know, was godlike. He was absolutely phenomenal. Well, his shooting clip wasn't spectacular. 11 of 27. Yeah, Buddy, were, buddy there, I was surprised to see he'd missed that many shots. There were a lot of misses like yeah, though. Yeah, I was surprised when I looked at I the think box. he cooled off once the game was kind of over. And the other thing you've got to look at, I mean, there was 19 offensive rebounds. Cairns had 20 turnovers. But for me, it was the likes of Kyle Zuni. So, as we said before, first development player to start his first game. Brilliant, brilliant looking guy. Yep, confident. Oliver Hayes-Brown. Yes. I love this kid. He is, My girlfriend hates the hair, but uh, he, he was very handy. He's like new school Matt Earp. Oh, interesting. Massive, massive body set. a mean pick. He's taller than Matty Earp. Yeah. He's a genuine big center, whereas so, Earp was more of a power forward. I mean, you look, six points and eight rebounds in 13 minutes. How many offensive rebounds did he have? I mean, he yeah, yeah, he did. He had a lot. Yeah, so yeah. these guys know their games. They're not trying to do anything that's beyond them. They compete. They push hard. And again, this is a team that is missing three of their starting five. Yeah, I know. And another really, really key backup. Yeah. So, you know, two very, very solid wins. Admittedly, against two teams that are probably more towards the lower end of the ladder. But yes, holy crap, this team could be anything. And by the way, I've talked about the lack of power forward. Vic Law actually played with his back to the basket more than I realized. Mm. Like I, I loved him at Brisbane last year. I don't remember him backing guys down as much last season. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But in both games, he did play back to the basket more than I more than I thought he would. So. He is deceptively tall. Oh, he's very tall. He's very tall. And but he's more yeah. of a he's more of a small forward yeah, than a powerful. But he's tall and he's long. He's, he's long. So that, yeah, that, yeah. If a yeah. guy's if you've got a short guy on you, back him down. Absolutely. So again, this is the thing I said. Perth need to stockpile wins before they have to go over east for the oh, rest of the season. So unquestionably. A decent start. But yeah, really, really fun. And the other thing, just quickly as well, that I think is going to play really, really important part in Perth's season, 10 turnovers in the first game, 11 in the second. They keep the numbers down around that 10 mark or lower. Oh, yeah. They're getting all those steals and deflections. They're going to be a tough team to beat. Yep. And I guess the other thing, just to round it out, it is clear that Law and Cotton are going to be one of the most dynamic duos the league has ever seen. When you think about it, Cotton kind of hasn't had a second guy who can take over a game since Casey Prather left. And that yes. is no disrespect to JP Tokoto, Tariko White, or John Mooney. And White won a finals MVP. He was a very good player. And so was Mooney. Yeah, Tokoto was okay. So, But yeah, no, oh, it's exciting for Wildcats fans. It, yeah. it is. It is. Trevor's climbing draft boards too, mm. apparently. So, Fun little fact, Nathan, before we get into the a little bit of a teaser on Spygate. Oh, do tell. Thus far, every team that has won the turnover count has won the game. Yeah, well, makes sense. Take care of the ball, people. Yeah, it indeed. Is that simple. Yep, often. So, look, there's not a lot of news about this one yet, but there is rumblings that the Hawks have been doing a bit of a uh, New England Patriots and been spying on practice and filming practice. The Sydney Kings being the targets of said filming, I guess. Yeah, so Kings owner Paul Smith has tweeted, I am incredibly saddened that what is the most respected and professional boundary of this great game has been trampled in this manner. 
I thank our players and staff for taking the high road on the day itself. Some people need to do better. Yeah, so this is going to be a really interesting one to keep an eye on. I must admit, I don't know if it's got any talk in the Talking Head TV shows, like The Jump. I don't know why they chose that name. Maybe they chose it intentionally to... Should have been The Hop. Yeah, well, off the back of the old NBA show before the Rachel Nichols saga and all that stuff. But have you watched any of those Talking Head shows? Or nah. Yeah, I haven't really. Had, I just watched the games. Hmm. Yeah. But look, there's no current rule against watching a training session. So technically, it's more a case of you haven't, haven't done anything illegal, but moral-wise, it's not great. Yeah, okay. So we'll see if anything more comes of this. And if it does, we will talk about it at length next week. Of course, week. absolutely. So, Nath, obviously a lot to talk about in the NBL in that first round. We've got a little bit of NBA to talk about, and I kind of figure the best way to do this is for me to rapid-fire some questions at you. Go. Oklahoma City. Obviously, we saw what happened to them in Memphis, a 73-point Oh, yeah, we've got to talk about that. <laughs> the absolute record. Record. Oh, man. It amazed me how many people didn't know the record, though. A lot of these big talking heads, you know, listening to the guys in the mismatch that didn't know the record of 68. It's right. Something oh, look, was... I didn't know the exact... Didn't I... We were chatting about it, and didn't I guess... I think I was one off, I think. I, I, I think I guessed 67. Ingrained into... I couldn't have yeah, told you right, the date, right, but I, right. I could always tell you it was 68. It was yeah, Miami right, and Cleveland, right. but... The thing that I wanted to ask you about with this, okay, so obviously no Josh Giddy, no Shea Gilgis-Alexander, but no Jar Morant for Memphis. Yes. I'm torn on this because if you look at this, Jeremiah Robinson Earl had a minus 56 in 24 minutes of playing time. Ouch. Lou Dort was a minus 53 in 25 minutes. I, for one, I love the idea of making the starters play through that shit. What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, I, I don't know. I mean, it's tricky with OKC because clearly they want to tank a bit. So you can't you can't apply normal rules to them. But it, like looking more broadly, I am a believer sometimes in sticking their nose in it a little bit and mm. saying, "You guys got us in this mess. We're clearly not going to win. You're going to have to feel the heat for a little while." Yeah. So yeah, I don't have a problem with that as a coaching tactic at all. Take the pain. Yep. Absolutely, I, I agree with that entirely. Julius Randall had one of the more interesting sound bites over the week. Oh. So after a two-point loss to Brooklyn on Thursday, he was talking with the refs about a lack of calls and he took two free throws in that game, hasn't had more than five in his last five games. And he said, and I quote, they said, because certain contact doesn't affect me like it affects other players because I'm stronger, they miss the calls. The old check stuff, yeah. How disappointing is it to hear this coming from a referee? It's, it's, it's poor. It's not how it should be done. It's disgraceful. Yeah, it is. Like, it is. That's the sort of thing that almost deserves an internal inquiry. Well, we've listened to whistleblowers, Joey. Hmm, very true. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't like this at all. No, I don't either. I don't either. If that's true, not good for Jonas Valanciunas. Yes, so seven threes in, was it a quarter? Our first half. First half. Quarter, oh, quarter and a half, if you want. Yeah. yeah, oh, wow, wow. And then he didn't hit another one after that. No. But he's a centre, so, you know. He's been threatening to do this for a little while, and I, I kind of looked at it, and get this. Now, I haven't checked today to see whether that's changed, but in the top 14 players in the league for three-point percentage as of yesterday, only four of them are listed as guards. Paddy Mills, Mike Conley, Alec Burks, and Eric Gordon. Is that because of volume? What? No, the volume is actually pretty good on most of these guys because okay. you've got guys like Carl Anthony Towns at number five, Valanciunas at number three. There's a lot of these other really solid big guys shooting a lot of threes and making a lot. I mean, it wasn't that long ago where 40% was considered elite. Now you've got 40-odd players, give or take one or two, that are shooting more than 40%. Wow. It is really, really interesting to see whether these guys can maintain their pace. Is it bad to see this many centers shooting this many threes? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you like guys with that skill set, but you don't want them falling in love with the shot. Mm. Yeah, it's the Steph Curry effect. It's a Steph, Steph Curry is amazing, but now all these eight-year-olds are shooting threes when they can't make the distance from the foul line. Mm. There are for every 
It's the yin and yang effect, isn't it? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. For every Steph Curry, there's a Vindaloo Curry (laughs) smashed on the pavement. (laughs) So Cody talked up DeMar DeRozan's MVP credentials, Stewie. In the fourth quarter this season, as of yesterday, he scored 178 points, which is 7.7 points per fourth, first in the NBA. In fourth quarters, he's shooting 53, 46, 90 on shooting percentage. And the Bulls are plus 69 with him in fourth quarters, the highest plus minus of any player with 200 minutes. Sometimes the stats tell a lot more than what the eye test does. I mean, look, DeRozan has played phenomenal. And well, the eye test coalesces with the stats. That's the thing. They go hand in hand. Well, in it does, case. but this is the thing. The voters often don't look at this sort of stuff. They yeah, just kind yeah. of, if you're talking about MVPs, they'll look at certain bits and pieces. And look, Chris Paul's not getting a lot of love, but he's kind of quietly having a Steve Nash MVP. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that the other day. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, Nash didn't put up stupid numbers when he took it away from Kobe Bryant. Well, but... look at Phoenix's record. The proof's in the pudding there. Absolutely. So, but no, look, DeRozan absolutely has to be in at this stage, probably the top five or six players in that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Dante Exum has officially signed with Barcelona in the Spanish League. Yes, A three-month deal as he continues to fight back into the NBA. There goes the Southeast Melbourne rumours. Yes, quashed pretty quickly because he'll get paid a lot more. Oh, yeah, of course. What do you reckon? Oh, he should be in the NBA. Hopefully he gets back there. There's, yeah. there's got to be teams that need a decent quality defender. He played can excellent shoot. in the Olympics. Yeah, really well in the Olympics. can shoot the three. Yep. Okay, he's not quite as athletic as he used to be, but he's still got pretty decent ups for a guy that's had that many injuries. And he can play point. Mm. It, like, good point, not just short guy who dribbles ball. He Surely. can actually run a team. Surely he's a better option than Killian Hayes. It, well, <laughs> he'd be a better option than some of the bench warmers out there. Surely. Mm. Surely. Yep. And last little tidbit before we move on. Players to have 32 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, 5 blocks and 2 steals in a game and shoot 70% from the field. Jay Sean Tate. That is it. Yeah, we probably should have used that as our bridge between NBO and NBA, but that's an amazing stat to finish on. Oh, amazing. Absolutely brilliant. And look, I've got to be honest, he's doing better than I thought he would this early. Mm. He really is. And great opportunity there in Houston, given their tanking. Well, <laughs> they've started winning. <laughs> they kind of stuffed the tanking. Yeah, a well, what a season. It's been such a weird season. It is. When you look at how close third and fourth is to 10th in both yes, conferences. Yes. I mean, you get hot for one week. You can all of a sudden go up two or three spots. It's crazy. Keep going, Houston. Indeed. But not too far because we kind of want your draft pick to be decent. (laughs) And now, this week in sport history. December 7th, 1931, after scoring 226 in the first test in Brisbane, Don Bradman padded up for New South Wales against the Proteus and belted 219 at the SCG. It was an absolutely insane display of batting from the Don, who scored 806 runs in the five-test series despite only batting five times. In fact, the Aussies only batted twice in two of the five tests, including not coming out to bat at all in the fifth test because he twisted his ankle in the change rooms before the match. Bit of a Glenn McGrath in the ashes, Mm -hmm. so... Coupling his aforementioned 226 with 112 in the second test, he also had a 167 in the third and a 299 not out in the fourth. Roman averaged 201.5 for the series, easily the highest average in the top 80 for most runs in a series. The record also belonging to Bradman, of course, when he took England apart for 974 runs in the 1930 Ashes. Never heard of this bloke. Was he any good? Sounds like he was all right. Yeah, handy. December 9th, 1984, LA Ram Eric Dickerson rushes for 215 yards and two touchdowns in a 27-16 win over the Houston Oilers in the second last game of the season. 
Dickerson would finish the season next week with a record 2,105 yards, a record which still stands to this day, just eight yards ahead of Adrian Peterson's 2012 season with the Minnesota Vikings. Unfortunately, while he was decent in the wildcard game against the New York Giants a couple of weeks later with 107 yards and a touchdown, he did ultimately have a key fumble in the first quarter, which would lead directly to a touchdown for Rob Carpenter, and the Rams lost 16-13. to Dickerson was ultimately a Hall of Famer, six-time Pro Bowler, a five-time first-team All-Pro, and he sits ninth all-time in rushing yards, so he did okay. Well, and he retired prematurely. He could have kept going. The guy with the visor had a great look, and I'm pretty sure they played less games back then, which makes the record even more impressive. December 10th, 2017, the Snowball Game, also known as Snowvertime, where, unfortunately, my undermanned Indianapolis Colts came up short against the Buffalo Bills 13-7 in OT during a game which saw nine inches of snow fall during the game. If you haven't seen the footage for it, we strongly recommend you check it out on YouTube. It is laughable, isn't it, Shui? Absolutely. Not surprisingly, a very low-scoring affair and a lot of running plays. Buffalo had 16 passes to 51 carries, while Indy had 22 passes to 46 carries. The only scores in regulation belonged to Bill Kelvin Benjamin in the last minute of the first half, while Jack Doyle had a touchdown for Indy with 1.16 left in the fourth quarter. The 43-yarder that Adam Vinatieri kicked to tie the game was absolutely insane. They had to create a patch of grass for him. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And the way it curved back, it was like... David Beckham, basically. I think of Warney, but yeah, it yeah. was like David Beckham. Oh, man. After a two-point conversion was disallowed due to an illegal block, which was there, and after a pick, Vinatieri had a kick at the siren to win, but unfortunately was wide right. Again, though, woeful conditions to kick in, very hard. Even a chip shot would have been difficult in those conditions. LaShawn McCoy ran for 156 yards and broke the line to run in the game winner in OT. A lot of funny moments in that one, actually. I've seen a heap of snow angels. I saw after one sack from Ryan Davis, he started throwing snowballs. It's the obvious celebration. It's absolutely crazy. It is crazy. The snow was so thick, it was almost too thick for snow angels. That's Mm. how nuts it was. Like, oh my God. I would say to people, even just watch the first couple of minutes. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just to get an idea of how nuts this is. Yeah, it's there on YouTube. Check it out. December 12th, 1968, in a historic day for tennis, and I say, uh, I know it's an historic day, but it just doesn't sound right. (laughs) Arthur Ashe becomes the first black tennis player to be ranked number one in the world. He was also the first African-American male to win the US Open, Australian Open, and Wimbledon, and helped the US to five Davis Cup wins. Unfortunately, he is to this day the only male of colour to hold the number one spot. Although, as we're all aware, Serena and Venus Williams, as well as Naomi Osaka and Yvonne Goulagon-Cawley on the women's side of the draw, have held that honour. So Ash, as a trailblazer, opened the door for so many athletes of colour to chase their tennis dream. And obviously, with so many of them not making number one, there's still been a tonne of phenomenal players of of course that have you know not quite reached those heights but have still been superb players and there's a reason they named the stadium after him at flushing meadows of course Mm -hmm. they didn't name it after stefanos sissipas that's a different kind of flushing december 12th 1985 washington bullet center manute bowls sets an nba record for the most blocks in a quarter with eight against the milwaukee bucks unsurprisingly he also tied the nba record for blocks in a half with 11 There's only been 72 games recorded with 11 blocks for an entire game, and he did it in a half. There have only been 44 players in league history with 10 or more blocks in a game, and Manute has 18 of those games, trailing only Mark Eaton, who has 19. But Eaton did play 250 more games than Bowl and averaged more than 10 extra minutes per game. According to a Bleacher Report article on the best blocks per minute guys in NBA history, Manute sits at number one all-time with 0.179 blocks per minute, easily ahead of Spurs' beast George Johnson on 0.123 blocks per minute. If you ever want to attend a block party, Manute was the man. 
He sure was. I'm a big fan of his son, Bol Bol, too. I'm a big fan of George Johnson as well. He's a he's an underrated player. He, he was an absolute beast. I'll be honest, I don't have a lot of memory about him, but uh, yeah, that's that's an impressive stat line. I do a lot of quizzes, so. <laughs> this week in sport history. So, Shuri, obviously, at time of recording, the Ashes starts tomorrow, and we're very excited. But I'll tell you what's exciting: when a bloke picks up ten wickets in an innings. Oh my goodness. And what a weird match it was. I was going to say, do you know what's even more exciting than a guy picking up 10 wickets is him overshadowing his team getting smashed. Yeah, yeah. Destroyed. So, weird, weird match. Yeah. One of the craziest scorecards you'll ever see. Just the third time ever. And the first time ever in a first inning that a player has taken all 10. And that is huge because spinners often come in in the second innings as the pitch deteriorates. Jim Laker and Anil Kumble, obviously the other two. Yeah. So Jim Laker, who we've talked about actually in a previous This Week in Sport, took 10 for 53 to go with nine in his first inning. 19 and I believe that was on debut as well wow <laughs> and then Adil Kumble had a 10 for 74 so Ajaz Patel 10 for 119 so the most expensive of those but geez I'll tell you what without well him, it's, it's still a good average though oh it's amazing yeah and without that you look at it and say well India could easily have made 500 550 and this was an innings where Mayanka Garwal had 150 so yeah he's absolutely done New Zealand a, a great credit unfortunately they just rolled over in reply and were all out for 62 in 28.1 overs I guess India getting a bit of revenge for the World Test Championship earlier in the year, I guess. They didn't half, honestly. I mean, you look at that. New Zealand faced 28.1 overs. Agarwal on his own faced 51.5. Wow. So An ODI innings. And he scored more than twice as many yeah, runs. Yeah, yeah, uh, The pitch, it had some demons in it, but like it wasn't an out-and-out minefield. So no. uh, when you look at Kyle Jamison being the top scorer with 17, it's a hideous batting performance. Ravi Ashwin was great in reply four for eight off eight overs, but New Zealand just got murdered in this one. And just when you thought that all the weirdness is there, one of the most bizarre reviews you'll ever see in your life, a clean bold. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I don't think he realised. I think he thought that he'd been stumped. Yeah, but still, like to signal for the review that quickly without talking to your partner. Oh, it was terrible. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I say this all the time, but somewhere Shane Watson was smiling. <laughs> so yeah, absolute dominance by India and New Zealand. Jeez, they've got a lot of questions to be asked. But it's uh, look, it's not the most important part. We do have to talk about the lead up to the Ashes as we are, what, 10 hours away? Yes, not far at all now. So the big talk, obviously, is about Jimmy Anderson. He's officially out of the first test. No real surprise there, obviously. No, it's a tactical manoeuvre, I think. Especially when you look at the stats, and you did. Yeah, seven wickets from four tests at the Gabba at an average of over 75. And at 39 years of age, backing up, he's never going to be able to do that. So they'll probably look at it and say, right, second test, fourth test, and if it's still a series, he'll play the fifth, but it's unlikely. Wherever that game's going to be held, we'll know that soon, hopefully. Yeah, we will. But look, Adelaide for him, under lights potentially, he'll have that thing hooping around corners. Who do you go, though? Mark Wood, Chris Wokes? It's going to be Wokes, I think. I mean, Wokes bowled pretty average in Australia last time. Yeah, well, I mean, Wood might suit the Gabba better, but from what I've heard, it's going to be Wokes. I mean, this is all redundant. By the time you're listening to this episode, it would have already been played. Probably two days in, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I personally, I like the pace of Wood. I think he could potentially trouble the batters. I think he probably suits the Gabba more. Decent sort of bounce. Maybe they play both. Who knows? Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting start, we will see. Now, what did you make of the Australian lineup with Marcus Harris and Travis Head? Look, I'm still not sold on Travis Head as a long-form player. I know his numbers are great, but in the Gabba conditions, why wouldn't you have a guy that plays for Queensland? I would have had Kawaja in the team. Okay. Would you have had him opening the batting, though, or would you have him in that middle order? Um, either way. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could say that he plays instead of Harris. Uh, I, I don't think it's time to give up on Harris. I, I probably would have had Harris and Kawaja myself. I wonder if Harris has maybe given a couple of tests to prove himself, and if he is struggling, then Kawaja. Oh, they'll in. yank him if they need to. Yeah, and obviously Pekovsky's due to come back at one point mm. two, possibly. So I believe that when I say it. Yeah. I mean, I personally I like Travis Head at five. He's had a ripping season locally. He averages nearly forty seven in Australia. Okay, a lot of those are against Sri Lanka, and I guess he does only have one fifty from eight at bats against the Poms. So this is a big series for him. Again, for me, home deck, Kawaja, better player of spin. Their shield numbers are virtually identical at the moment. I would have played Kawaja, but I think this is probably a more of a long-term future planning yeah. kind of decision. Watch Travis Head come in at like three for 400 and score a set. Oh, I won't complain if he does. 100 off 60 balls. I want to see Green score some runs, but hey, if it's Head instead, oh, yeah. Take it from anyone. Yeah. Now, just quickly, Nath, I know we kind of teased the BBL at the start. I have a question for you. How much of a shit do I give? Has it become boring and irrelevant? I've been saying this basically since we've been recording this show. Mm. I, I, my interest in the BBL has got worse and worse every year. They're doing their best to kill the goose that laid the golden egg. The season is far too long. Because I don't count the 100 as a format, it is my least favourite of formats. I enjoyed the T20 World Cup, but it was a short tournament. Mm. This is too stretched out. Like, yeah, they got fuck all people to the first. I think they had probably had more at the basketball than they did at the cricket in that horrible match. Well, horrible for the stars. Yes. <laughs> Maybe not so much for the Sixers. Yeah, look, love my cricket. I'll watch the finals. I'll watch bits here and there. I'll try and get to a game if the Scorchers host one. But, yeah. It feels like a bit of a tired product to me. Yeah. And I don't know what the answer is. This is maybe something we can look at a bit more as the season progresses. But yeah, I, I must admit when I saw it, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll maybe watch the seven minute highlights. But yeah, that's really it. Yeah. I'm not really that fussed about the rest of it. Well, and I quoted that stat the other week during the T20 tournament about how much these games are blowing out. They're too long. Mm. They're too long. I want it over and done with in about three hours. And it's just not happening. It's closer to four. I'm sorry. I'd rather watch two NBL games than one Big Bash game. Yep. Every day of the week. Absolutely. So, yeah. That's where the minis thankfully come in. Yeah, well. Now, a bit of a random one to finish things off in cricket. You might remember Nathan Bassett. Yes. Played 210 games with the Adelaide Crows. Yes, fullback. Well, he was playing in the old T20 Browns League for Kensington in South Australia against Modbury over the week. Oh, yeah, okay. Now, the scorecard took me about half an hour to find, and it's incomplete. But Bassett has come in at three for 74 and proceeded to blast 130 not out with nine fours and 12 sixes. <laughs> wow. Including 30, 34 off one over. Wow. Just missing out with a four off the last ball from having that perfect 36 that cricketers dream of. Yeah, wow. Kensington made 232 for four off their 20 overs, Modbury managing just 85 all out in reply. Did he pick up the ball? One over for one. There you go. No man wicket. of the match. No wickets, but yeah. But well, hey, good. still man of the match. That's a great economy. Oh. Bowling an over for one in 2020 is pretty good. It's not a wicket, but it's... Yeah. <laughs> and if you're coming in at three for 74, there's a chance that you've probably only got maybe, I don't know, 12, 13 overs to, to really go for it. You don't have a lot of time to cite them, that's for sure. So 130. And considering that he was a professional footballer in the day... Oh, these professional sports people, Stewie. Mm-hmm. Good at everything. And now... What made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week comes from the world of women's international soccer and the match between England and Latvia. This was a match between the 8th ranked English and the 102nd ranked Latvians. I saw this, yeah, I saw this. Who sit just above Tahiti and the Cook Islands on points and are behind teams like New Caledonia and the Faroe Islands, which has a population of less than 49,000. 
funnily enough, I met a few of them at a Meta Festival once. There you go. Yeah, so I met what a tenth of the population. <laughs> but to put that into perspective, the Shire of Wanneroo here in Perth has nearly four times that population. Wow! Just the Shire of Wanneroo. Wow, well, and it's not the biggest state either. So. No. Wow. So it wouldn't come as any surprise that England would win the game. But what made me say bloody hell was the ruthless way in which the game was won. Yeah. England won the game 20 nothing for their biggest ever competitive win, smashing their 13 nothing win over Hungary from 2005. But they had 86% of the possession, 64 shots to zero, with 31 of those on target, 15 corners to nothing. And amazingly, there were only four fouls in the entire match to all. It was that free-flowing. Can we talk, though? Because doesn't the Aussie blokes hold the record for beating a minnow similarly? I am very much about to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, okay, there you go. There you go. Sorry, great minds. <laughs> it's not even close to the biggest loss in international history. So Canada's women beat the Puerto Ricans 21 nothing in 98. The Australian men beat Tonga 22-0 in 2002. That's the one I'm thinking of. No, that's not the one you're oh, thinking of. Oh, is it no. not? Okay. The Tahiti men beat the Cook Islands 30 to nothing in 1971. The one you're thinking of, the Aussie men beat American Samoa uh, 31 nothing yes. behind a record 13 goals from Archie Thompson. Yes, that's right. And while not a full international, the Vanuatu under-23s men beat the Federated States of Micronesia under-23s 46 nothing oh, wow. in 2015. Wow. In actual fact, Micronesia played three games in that tournament, losing 30 nothing to Tahiti, 38 nothing to Fiji, and then 46 nothing to Vanuatu. 46, that's a goal every two minutes. Rough, rough stuff. Less than every two minutes. My God. But it almost begs the question at what point do games like these do more harm than good? Like the English men's side beat San Marino 10-0. And again, you have to ask that question. San Marino has a population of about 34,000 people. England has 11 cities with a population at least 10 times that. The trick in these matches is to play your B team or your C team or you play or an under-19s team. You fight, you can find a way where you can get players a run. It depends if it's qualifying though. Like if it's qualifying, you kind of got to go for the jugular, don't mm. you? So, yeah. And it's, it is so tough because in a game like this, Soccer is really unforgiving in terms of the fact that you will often score nil, even if you're a good team. Yeah, oh yeah. Nil is a reasonable score to, that you can expect. Regular, to yeah, yeah, yeah. At least in cricket, if you're talking about, you know, Australia versus Papua New Guinea, they'll at least get some runs on the board. And at least you can declare too. Yes. There are other ways of, yeah, there's no mercy rule in soccer. But it is an interesting little conundrum in terms of when is it a bad thing? And, and I guess, look, there's no right or wrong answer to it, but. I'll tell you what, for showing no mercy against Latvia, all I can say is Valens Paravis, bloody hell. Bloody hell. So Nath, just a little bit in the football codes, we've got to start off with the NFL. How about your beloved Patriots, Nath? <sighs> They're not beloved. The longest winning streak in the league at seven, and they did it differently today. I wrote them off earlier. I wrote them off earlier. They did do it differently today. They did it with the run. It was crazy, crazy. So Mac Jones has thrown a franchise record low for passes with just three from 49 plays. Seven different guys rushing in the game, including seven from him. I actually saw a hilarious tweet about Jones that said, when you do nothing in the group project, but still get an A. I too saw a, a hilarious tweet of a still shot from Lord of the Rings where it says, you shall not pass. Ha! And they put Bill Belichick's head on. <laughs> nice. Very nice. But look, Damien Harris, absolutely amazing in this game. It oh, don't remind me. He's on my fantasy team and I had him on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 111 yards. The first touchdown of the game. Unfortunately, he did have to come off with an ankle injury. Looked set for a really big one. I did find it interesting they went for two after their first touchdown of the game, though. Yeah. I, to be honest, I haven't seen the game, so I can't tell you why that happened. Yeah, I have no idea. 
it's unusual though. Like there was no snow. It was perfect conditions. Oh, the conditions were amazing. Just yeah. purely a tactical move and it worked out. They went for it. They got it. Yeah. And yep. ultimately it meant that towards the end of the game, they're up by four instead of three. And they've probably seen something in scouting, I guess. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. But it got me thinking, what is the fewest amount of passes ever thrown in a game? And if you're wondering, on five different occasions, a team has thrown zero passes. After watching that snow footage, you can understand, can't mm. you, in some of those northeast places? Well, a lot of them are not so much to do with snow, but to do with mud, because they're all sort of back in the 30s Back in the and 40s. days, yeah, yeah, when the fields were shit. So I'll run you through the five really quickly. The Cleveland Browns beat the Philadelphia Eagles 13-7 to in 1950 without throwing a pass. The Pittsburgh Steelers drew 7-all with the LA Rams in 49 after a late one-yard rushing TD to Ram Fred Gerke. The Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Brooklyn Dodgers 14-7 in 1941 thanks to a 25-yard rushing TD from Art Jones. The Detroit Lions beat the Cleveland Rams 28-0 in 1937 without throwing a single pass. Wow, wow. And the Green Bay Packers beat the Portsmouth Spartans 17-0 in 1933. Two touchdowns coming from a blocked punt and an interception. Did Jim Brown play in that Cleveland one, did you say? Yes, as long as you don't check, because I don't know. Okay, yeah. (laughs) But it's interesting. Four of those games where the team threw no passes were a win, and the other one was a draw. Yeah, that's nuts. So run the football. Detroit finally got a win, by the way. Yes. Yeah. They'll take it. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they acted like it was their bloody Super Bowl. Well, it was for them, probably. <laughs> it's been a very lean season. It's it's not easy being a Lions fan, and it hasn't been easy being a Lions fan for a really long time. Right, how's this for craziness? So the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers have this amazing rivalry. Ever since the Ravens entered the league, these two teams have just duked it out season after season because they're in the same division. They play each other twice every year. So get this. In their last 29 head-to-head matchups, so going into this weekend, it was 14 games apiece. The Steelers won on the weekend 20-19. to 19. So the Steelers have won 15. The Ravens have won 14. But on the scoreboard, the Ravens 599, the Steelers 594. In 29 games, only five points separate them. And one win separates them. This is like the mid-2000s Swans and Eagles. It's unbelievable. In the AFL yeah, exactly. Every yeah. game was like a six-point game. Oh, or... it's fantastic. Yeah. It really is. Great rivalry. So a couple of other things from the world of college football that really, really got my attention. Some interesting talking points. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things I love seeing in the NBA, and I'm going to do a little sidestep here to NBA because there's a Everything good, comes back to the end. good little parallel. <laughs> one of the things I love is seeing guys coming down the sideline like they're about to call a timeout and then they keep going for a cheeky little layup. Andre Miller did this a number of times, a lot of the times with Portland. I actually remember one where Antonio Daniels for the Spurs did against the Lakers and went the length of the court for a layup. And in fact, I think it was a playoff game. Jeez. Yeah. Phil was, Jackson would have been It was one of the years spewing. they swept us. I'm pretty sure it was a playoff game, but it was one of the years they swept us, I think. Yeah. Well, Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh hit us with an equivalent and one of the cheekiest, craftiest plays I reckon I've seen for a long time. We see it all the time. Quarterbacks go for a run and then they'll slide before they can get smashed. Now, against Wake Forest, Pickett's actually had about maybe a 20, 25-yard run and looked like he was about to slide. And then all of a sudden, the defense relaxes and he kind of plants the foot and explodes the remaining 35 yards yes. for the touchdown. Very impressive in isolation. So have you seen anything like it before? Not that I can remember off the top of my head, no. But now all of a sudden, there's a lot of talk that this creates a really dangerous angle. It does. So Tony and Mike were big on it on PTI the other day. It's probably not something that should be done because this is a way of protecting the quarterback. If they're not going to do it in good faith because the defender relaxed, then fair enough, he relaxed because he thought the play was over. It's not good sportsmanship and it's going to lead to injuries if guys keep doing it because guys are going to get cleaned up. 
So do you think there basically needs to be some form of rule that if the quarterback starts a slide, he has They're to down. complete it? They're down. You just call it down. Well, because they don't even, you know, because well, yeah. his foot didn't go. Well, I mean, his foot went down, but he's no. But not, you can call it down. You, you yeah. decide that it's like the football move thing with a catch. You can say that it's a sliding move, so play over. Okay. Now the other really cool one I saw was in the Nebraska Buffalo game. Kyle Venturis, who's the Buffalo quarterback, on fourth and five, faked like he was going for it, and then all of a sudden proceeded to put down an eighty-one yard punt. He kicked it too far. Yeah, too far. Ended up being a, a touchback. touchback. Yeah, it kind of opens up some options though if you've got quarterbacks who can do both. Yeah, well, hey, Pat McAfee for the Colts was our third stringer when he played for us as quarterback. So, well, we were kind of talking about off air, and it, it kind of what I'm meaning is that. If you've got a quarterback who kind of looks like he's setting up for a punt. It's hard on the defense. And then the defense all runs back thinking it's going to go way, way, way back. All yep. of a sudden, a fourth and five, a yep. fourth and three. Little screen pass over the top. Yep. Yeah, you're talking a little flick over the top and yep. you've got your first down. And Jeez, yep. I'll tell you what, they're going to catch a lot of teams. If yeah. That's so. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think the only reason why you maybe wouldn't do it is for fear of injury when he does kick it. Yes. But, gee, it's a good skill in your tool bag. And yeah, I mean, had it only been, what, 70-yard punt, which is still massive. Yeah, well, they would have been pinned back in a safety danger mm. if the defense played well. No, it was very impressive. It was. Now, a couple of little tidbits in the AFL that we've got to talk about. Well, we should acknowledge the draft happened. <laughs> yeah, we kind of <laughs> forgot about that. Well, we didn't forget, but we were so gung-ho on the NBL that we just decided. And look, in the AFL, guys really producing their first season. It's not like the NBA where a lot of guys can be impact players, well, lottery guys at very least. So we tend to kind of look at the AFL draft closer to the start of the season, if at all. But yes, it did happen. We do know it happened. Congrats to all the young guys <laughs> for changing their lives. Well done. <laughs> Congratulations if you're named Josh. Yes. <laughs> there are a few of them. But look, a couple of things. Sadly, Brad Shepard from the West Coast Eagles forced to retire at just 30 after lingering issues with concussion. 216 games with the club, 2020 All-Australian. Very unlucky to miss the 2018 Premiership. Did a hammy in the prelim final uh, that right, year against okay. Melbourne. I forget that. But uh, he will be greatly missed. Unfortunately, you do have to look beyond the game, though, as we've seen in recent years. Well, if you want to live a long life, you can't fuck with that stuff, can you? And I did see that Scott Pendlebury from Collingwood has another fracture in his leg at 33 years of age. It's close to the one that put him out for the final four rounds of last season. It gets trickier and trickier. Especially when you consider he's consistently one of the top five for Collingwood in terms of distance covered in games. Maybe they actually want him to go and be an assistant coach. Remember how he was kind of threatening to... Yeah, thank you, Sawyer. No, he's a legend of the club. He might be done, though. Yeah, longest-serving captain of the club, too. But, uh, I, yeah. That, I, I hope I'm wrong. Obviously, we never wish injuries upon anyone. Yeah, but the older you get, yeah. the harder it is to stay on the paddock. He is great for the game. So oh, yeah. Oh, he's a great player. Rest up, Pendles. We'll see you back yeah. a few rounds in, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. Oh, I'm sure you know what that music means. What are you out for? I mean, it's got to be the Kings and Hawks in the NBL, doesn't it? Well, it's on the short list. Absolutely. Both teams had a win in round one. Spygate talk has kind of hyped things up to 11 right now. Celtics-Lakers tomorrow in the NBA. Brooklyn-Atlanta on Friday. And I don't know, I'm going to try and get into the BBL. I'm just getting aroused right now. <laughs> How about yourself, mate? Ashes, of course. It's yeah, the Ashes. <laughs> it's the Ashes. I'll still watch as much NBL as I can, but it's the Ashes. I've got to leave you the obvious Yeah, no, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough, yeah. Until next time, though, my name's Nathan. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.